I hope you're all doing well. I think I'll start by sharing a few thoughts about rebirth. One of the things that um, has been coming up lately, I've heard from a few different people, a concern about um, whether or not we actually have free will and the Buddha was very clear that we do. He was um, very, very clear to explain that we have the responsibility to live an ethical life and that uh, we make karma. Um, through our good actions and also through our unskillful actions. And therefore, we have the choice. So it seems that some teachers or some people are thinking in ways that suggest that we don't have a choice, that, that uh, the conditioning is so strong that we come in with that we just follow it. And therefore, even when we think we're choosing something, we're actually just following our conditioning. But I don't think that the Buddha thought it was that way at all. He certainly understood the power of conditioning and talked, as you know, about how everything here in Sangsara is based on conditions. So this present moment, each of us with all of the um, attributes and complexities and so on and conditions in our life are all based on what came before. So that is certainly um, the truth according to Dhamma, according to the Buddha. And that this being, this living being that we are, um, each of us, ourselves, the Buddha talked about that in terms of conditioned um, phenomena as well, of course, as you know. But when he talked about Atta, the self, the conventional conditioned self, it also has the responsibility and the opportunity to change. So I think it's very important that people be clear, that it's clear to us. Otherwise, we can't really wake up. We, we won't, um, perhaps we won't take the opportunity to change. And then, of course, someone could say, well, even that idea of changing is conditioned. And maybe it's just the conditions that make it possible for this person to, to take a different direction, but not that one. And of course, there is some truth to the fact that our um, 
confidence or our determination is also based on conditions. But the reality is that there is this, this opportunity to do things differently than they were done before. And it isn't um, predetermined. So you've, I'm sure you've all heard me um, repeat what I heard from Ajahn Amaro years ago. All things are preconditioned. Nothing is predetermined. And that's, that's the, the present moment, the power in this present moment to see the options and to take the options that lead to less and less suffering. And that's really what the Dhamma teachings hinge upon. That and that there is this ongoing um, flow of the karmic stream, if you want to call it that. It's hard to talk about like what does actually get reborn. Um, it's certainly not going to be the self that I have here right now but it's going to be the results of this collection, this um, life experience. I, I heard someone who um, heard the Dalai Lama's response when someone asked what gets reborn. And I think they said it was, it's your bad habits, <laughs> but it's also the good habits. <laughs> And um, all of that unfinished um, energy and sankara. That's what comes into being again in some way. And so there's, you know, a certain amount of um, confusion around our ability to take action by our own determination, uh, which the Buddha um, thoroughly refuted uh, that we didn't, that we did not have such an ability, but there's also, of course, some confusion around rebirth. And the reason I thought about talking about it today was because it recently, um, talked with someone who was telling me about her experience this past year with COVID. And one of the things that happened was that her granddaughter died. And we were talking about the experience of grief and, you know, how we are affected by that, of course, when we lose someone that we love, when we lose someone that we're close to, someone that we spend a lot of time with, perhaps, or even if we don't, um, there's, there's that change that, um, that can't be reversed. And that's going to have an effect on us no matter what. Right. So, it's a it's a change that we need to take whatever time um, is needed, whatever 
care is needed to adjust to. <coughs> but I shared the, um, the poem, the verses of Patachara from the Terigata. And I was um, just looking for it. And I, I brought it to my new computer, but I think um, you give me a second here and I think I can locate it perhaps. We'll see if it will open up on my new computer. <laughs> So this is something that Patachara said to her um, many students. She, she was the foremost in teaching the Vinaya. She was an excellent teacher, Arahant Bhikkhuni at the time of the Buddha. And she was talking to her students. It says 500 students. And when you see the number 500, of course, in the suttas, it just means a lot, you know, something on that, on that order of magnitude. A lot of students, these are bhikkhunis. And many of them had been mothers before they became nuns and lost their children. Um, of course, it was really common before the age of modern medicine for children not to reach adulthood. Um, as an aside, I was reading a little bit about uh, one family during the 1700s in America. And they had 15 children and eight of them reached adulthood. So you can imagine in ancient India, how common it would have been to lose a child. And Patachara is talking to them and she says, you don't know the path of this child's coming or going. That being who has come from where? And you lament them as your child. But when you know the path of their coming and going, you don't grieve for them. For that's the nature of beings. Unasked, they come from there. Without permission, they go from here. Coming from where, having stayed a few days, and coming one way from here, they go yet another from there, dying in the human form. They will go on. As they came, so they've gone. So what is there to lament? Just hold on a second. I'm not able to scroll. <laughs> Oops, I threw it away. <laughs> Technical difficulties beyond my control. Okay, so this is where the poem breaks also because now it is one of the mothers speaking, one of the nuns she's been talking to pulling out the arrows so hard to see, embedded in my heart. She expelled from me, overcome with grief, the grief over my son. 
today with the arrow removed without hunger, entirely unbound. To the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha I go for refuge to the sage. And what intrigues me there that I actually hadn't really noticed before reading those words, because I've seen that same text before from different bhikkhunis actually about how the Buddha would talk to them about the loss of their child and pull out that arrow of grief. But here, Patachara is talking about knowing that everyone comes from somewhere and they're going somewhere. And when we don't know about that, we have more, um, more sadness, more grief, more concern. But if we knew, if we knew where um, this child has come from and we know where they're going, we have a better idea of the path or the journey of this living being, of this um, karmic stream. And to have that sense that there's some more to do or there's more to be experienced, there's more to learn, there's more to develop. And the opportunities for that development will be um, in that new environment. That's extraordinarily helpful. It's, it's a way of, of sort of stepping back to see the bigger picture, which often can relieve us from the most um, challenging part of the suffering, the deepest part. Because we're really looking at the reality of the Dhamma. Like she says, that's the nature of beings. And we really can recognize this is how it is. This is what we can reflect upon too as we get closer to death, which by the way, is true for every one of us every day. We're a day closer to death. And that reflecting on death is, is, a, is an opportunity to develop confidence so that we can um, continue to hold that um, confidence that's that we have through the faith in the triple gem, through the faith in our practice through the faith in this path that is development. And that relieves us from um, various kinds of suffering along the way. So it's helpful to look back over this life and see the things that have changed for the better, not circumstances. Sometimes those can change for the worse but still the heart and the mind changes for the better. I mean, how many times have we heard about people who have dealt with cancer saying, it's the best thing that happened to me. It woke me up to my life. And if we take it a step farther and let us wake it up, let, us, let it wake us up to the Dhamma even better. So that when we're, when we're really dealing with the circumstances in life, we can deal with them from that place, that place of the bigger picture, that place of this ongoing development of the heart. That is so profound. 
that helps us to experience the true power of the mind. And when we have, um, when we see development, developments in our meditation practice, such that states of mind are so beautiful and supportive that we can say, wow, when the mind has this ability to come to this kind of state and to, to open the heart and create um, much more love and acceptance and compassion of everyone in the world. And, and that includes the people right here in front of us, which is really where the rubber meets the road, you know. We can, we can imagine compassion for all of those people we don't know, but if we can have compassion um, for those who are right here, who um, might have the, um, the fortunate or unfortunate opportunity to kind of provoke our defilements, then we really know we've developed something. <laughs> and to be able to, um, to, to really look at that progress and get the sense of how amazing it is that that can happen and how amazing the mind is, then we can feel confident and, and um, have the care to use the mind in a way that is really supportive, that use the mind in a way that really honors the power that it has. So it's, it's an interesting um, paradox, I guess I would say, when we think about reflecting on death and reflecting on what comes after death and reflecting on what might have come before death. I don't mean in a speculative way. I don't mean in a way that gets us all tied up in knots. I mean in a way that opens the mind, that helps us step back from being so incredibly bound up in the current conditions so that we are more able to see the broader landscape of the Dhamma. And, and as we do that, it may seem like it's going to bring more sadness, more um, concern, but actually it's the opposite that occurs. You know, we realize that everything is falling apart and we feel an incredible sense of relief. You know, that statement of this is the way it is with living beings makes it sound like uh, may maybe we could think that's just kind of, um, you know, acceptance of the way it is. Um, kind of, um, what word am I looking for? Like, resol not resolution, resignation, to be resigned to reality. But that's actually not what happens when really, when insight arises. And what happens is joy arises, there's relief, and there's more enthusiasm for practice. And so it's, it's very important, and you've heard me say this before, it's very important that we acknowledge and review the things that have changed for the better in our practice. And I don't just mean in meditation, but in our minds and the way we live, 
um, the way we speak and our, our ongoing uh, development of understanding of the Dhamma, the development of wisdom. So that we are encouraged to, to go deeper. Um, someone asked a question during the recent retreat that I was co-teaching about, um, you know, when someone enters the stream, does that cause them to be complacent and say, well, I've, I've made it far enough. And, you know, do they, do they just kind of get stuck there? And, and the answer is almost never, um, very rarely, most of the time, any, um, development of the mind gives us more, um, enthusiasm and sense of urgency to to go to go farther um so i just want to encourage the reflection upon death and reflection upon um the workings of kama and like i said be careful not to make it an intellectual exercise but more of a contemplation because we don't want to get caught up in um, questions that don't have answers and just get stuck there. This is not an intellectual inquiry. This isn't about knowing more in that way, in the, in the mind. It's about knowing more in the heart, in the body, uh, how the Dhamma works, and that there is... Um, a very, very, very long story for this karmic stream that you are now holding in this particular body, if you want to put it that way. Um, and, and what an opportunity um, to continue to direct that in a good direction. So I hope that is encouraging and I'd like to invite you to settle into meditation.